Amen. A little rock and roll with Ron Jenkins this morning. It's always a good way to start the day. That's what I've been saying for a long time now. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Bill Moyers, I heard say once that amazing grace is sort of the, the national religious anthem of the United States. You go anywhere in this great land of ours and almost everyone knows at least that first verse, maybe the first and last, or maybe you're like me, you know them all. Something about the beauty of it, the power of it, the center of that, of that simple little song that speaks to all of us. I, I've been in services with Christians and Jews, Muslims and atheists and others, and they've all sung that song together. It's a reminder of our universal need for grace, for forgiveness, for love, for hope. Sometimes, though, we're deaf to the beauty of the song, to the power of its message. Sometimes we can't hear it because there are others who are shouting it down, or sometimes it's because of our own foolish, stupid choices and mistakes. And the grace we so desperately need, we can no longer hear. The church in Galatia was deaf to grace. They were stuck in arrogance. They were certain that they had all the answers, that they knew everything they needed to know, that their culture, that their society, that their way of doing and being and being church was better than anyone else's, and therefore, if you wanted to be a part of them, just become like them, and everything would be fine. They're in crisis, though, and they don't even know it. Their arrogance may destroy their church. The problem was not persecution. It wasn't money that they needed more of to pay the bills or a fight among the leadership of the congregation. No, their issue was arrogance, hubris, excessive pride, pomposity. And of course, you can't say the word pomposity without sounding pompous yourself, but that, that was their issue. They had this serious, serious concern that caused them to think they were better than everyone else, Christian or not. They had a tendency to look down their noses at the folks who were around them. They were super spiritual and they were certain that they had the right beliefs and not only that, the right lifestyles. Their social structure was better than anyone else's. Smugness rules, ruled. And because of that, there was a failure. There was a failure within their church to restore relationships and to practice forgiveness. You know, arrogance, arrogance can ruin the best of churches it can ruin the finest of relationships. There was a man and a wife who decided to take a cross-country trip by driving in their car. He was the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, <clears throat> quite excited that he could take as much time off as he wanted as a part of his job. They're headed out in the car, stopped at a gas station, pulled in to fill up the tank. While the, while the CEO, the husband, was inside paying the gas, he noticed that his wife outside was having a fairly intense conversation with the gas station attendant. As he came back out to the car, he recognized that the man was somebody that she'd known in high school. In fact, they'd dated for a short time. Well, the conversation was over. She got in the car. He got in, and they, they took off down the road. They were real quiet for a long time. In fact, the CEO was feeling kind of smug and, and self-confident. Finally, he broke the silence, and he said to his wife, I, I know what you're thinking. I, I know what's going on in your mind. You're really glad you're married to me, a CEO and not that gas station attendant. She said, no, I was thinking that if I'd married him, he'd be the CEO and you'd be the gas station attendant. 
by, by the way, but yes, I see women are clapping and laughing. The men, the men are quite, are, are the men, I can't see. Are the men laughing? Are they clapping? <clears throat> His arrogance was in danger of ruining the relationship. His arrogance was in danger of causing them to fall apart. The same thing can be true in a church. The church in Galatia, like that CEO, is stuck in the past. They're certain their old ways of thinking are better than everyone else's. Paul, Paul deals with this issue throughout his letter to the Galatians, and now he's making sure that they get the point. The biggest barrier to growth in the church, to the church, church being the kind of congregation that Jesus Christ calls them to be, is arrogance. Why? Arrogance won't let us forgive. Arrogance won't let us see our own human frailty, our own need for forgiveness, for grace, for a hand up. Now, let me, let me just take a moment. If, if you're certain that you're not in need of forgiveness, that you really don't need any forgiveness, I just want you to find someone that you care about and love and ask them if they've ever had to forgive you. And then let me know later on if, what that answer was. Will you, will you please? See, the same thing is true for the church. If we cannot practice forgiveness with each other, we are no longer the church that Jesus wants us to be. And so Paul makes his point as clear as possible. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore them, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Don't you love how practical and clear that is? Be kind to other people because you might need that kindness reciprocated. Forgive others because you might need forgiveness. When the scripture reading was being done this morning, Deb Lindsay was giving it at the 915 service. I was sitting next to Jim Long. We looked at each other right at this point in the, in the reading and said, don't you hate it when the Bible's talking directly to you? <laughs> this single statement is one of the most important reasons we go to church, to remind ourselves, all of us, that we need forgiveness. The temptation of the church, though, is to, is to put up a screen door or to set up some rules that carefully screen through social status or theology or something else to make sure that only the real Christians get in, only our kind of people make their way into the church. Sometimes arrogance blocks the way for each of us to receive the forgiveness that we need. We get very good at, at what Jesus calls seeing the speck in somebody else's eye while ignoring the log in our own. You know, that was really an ancient Near Eastern joke that Jesus relied on, not only for a good laugh with his congregation, but to make sure the point was clear. You might be able to find that speck of dust in the other person's eye. Why? Because you want to avoid the log that's in your own. It's a simple and clear teaching. Madeline Lengel was the, the marvelous author of the book, A Wrinkle in Time. She writes about this idea of how easy it is for us to find someone else with sin, somebody else with a problem. By the way, have you read A Wrinkle in Time, Madeline Lengel? Raise your hand if some of you have. Some of you have. It was written years ago. It's a marvelous novel written for 12 and 13-year-olds, but the theology is the kind of stuff we studied in seminary. In fact, I read the book in seminary. I, I would commend it to you. Well, Madeline is, is doing a, a speaking tour, traveling around from different places to uh, sell some of the books that she had written uh, after A Wrinkle in Time, and she stops at this Bible college in the Midwest, somewhere I think in Missouri or in Kansas, and she's invited to speak during the chapel service. So she gets up and she preaches a sermon on, on God's love and forgiveness, and she makes it very clear that this love and forgiveness is universal. It's given for all. In the middle of her sermon, this young man, about halfway back on this side, stands up in the middle of chapel and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I hearing you clearly? Are you saying that God's love will be given to the whole world? Yes, she said. Am I hearing you say, he said, that God's forgiveness is going to be given to the entire world? Are you saying that right here? 
She said, yes, I am. You're saying that ultimate forgiveness will be given to all. Yes, she said. He said, that's not right. That's just not right. We need to have ultimate judgment, ultimate justice. If we don't have it, and then she interrupted him. And she said, young man, if you die tonight and you stand before the very God of all that is, what do you need? Ultimate justice or ultimate mercy? He sat down. (laughs) He sat down. We know the answer, don't we? We know every one of us is in need of mercy, forgiveness, beginning with your pastor, extending to all of our pastors, including our governing board, our foundation board, our deacons, our council chairs. Everyone in this room is in need of the clarity, of the mercy, and the forgiveness of God, period. The same forgiveness we received is the forgiveness that we're expected to then give away. And that, of course, is the problem, isn't it? The same forgiveness we've received is the forgiveness we're expected to give away to others. Sometimes, though, what we'd rather do than forgive somebody else is is hang on to that hurt and that anger and that frustration and just kind of carry it around like a badge of honor. I'm so mad at her. I can't stand him. Why? Oh, because he said something once, or he took me down, or he did this, or she did that. Can you, you ever talk like that? You ever known somebody who's gotten like that? They almost carry it around. Maybe it's you. I know it's been me in the past. You hold on to that stuff as though it's a trophy you've earned, and you want to show it off. Nelson Mandela, though, said, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. He knew if he didn't leave the the bitterness and the hatred behind, he might as well still be on Robin Island, that prison off the coast of South Africa, where he spent so many years. Paul invites us to leave behind bitterness and hatred and, frankly, arrogance, too. It's an invitation to a new life, to one that begins, that begins today. But like I said, the church in Galatia, they're in crisis. Their arrogance is destroying them. Paul makes it clear in this letter that the path to renewal will be found in kindness, in service to others, and in an attitude of gratitude the path to renewal for their church. Did did you hear that? The way their church can become strong again, the way their church can experience growth and new life and vitality, it does not begin, Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say it begins with, oh, you need to examine the governing structure. Oh, you need to make sure that the way you organize your councils and committees looks like this. Oh, we need to examine this. No, what does he say? It begins in kindness, service, an attitude of gratitude, gratefulness a spirit of thanksgiving for all that we've received in this life. I mean, honestly, think about it this way. If you, if, if you want your church to be stronger, be kind to the person you're sitting next to. That's the first step. Be gracious to everyone you encounter. Be willing to serve wherever you're sent and found. I, I know, I, I know. I, I preached a sermon like this a few years ago. My good friend Max, who's uh, one of my best friends in Kansas City, He's a man who's now 96 years old. He's a Marine. I learned to say early on in my relationship, my friendship with Max, not to say that he's an ex-Marine. There is no such thing. He'll, he'll be real clear to let you know. He's a Marine still. In fact, he landed on Guadalcanal in World War II. He was one part of the, the, uh, the force that, was, that landed on that island in that very dangerous time. 
Anyway, I preached a sermon like this once, and he came up to me after the service was over and said, Preacher, you done stopped preaching and started meddling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true enough. True enough. But the answers for the church are not mysterious. They're right before us. It's about you and I being kind to each other. It's about you and I being willing to welcome the other. About you and I being willing to stoop down low enough, as the letter said this morning, to help someone in need. It's that simple. Reinhold Niebuhr, the brilliant theologian from the last century, said, the great Christian revolutions come not by the discovery of something not known before. They happen when someone takes radically something that was always there. It's not some mystery waiting to be rediscovered. It's something that's already there, a teaching that's right before us. Kindness. Gratitude. Service. Of course, it's not an easy path. Forgiveness is so difficult. It feels so much better to hold on to those past grudges, those old angers, those old feelings of, of revenge. Forgiving feels weak and mushy and sort of just not really strong. But C.S. Lewis helps us. He says to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Do you see how this issue continues to come back always, specifically to each of us? To forgive others is, is to forgive because God has already forgiven you. That's the invitation. This is why the cross is here before us on every Sunday. It's why the cross is here in our sanctuary every time we gather for worship. It's a reminder of the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder of who he was, who he is, and who he will be, and who we're invited to follow. It's also a reminder of words that were spoken on the cross. You recall, no doubt, the story from Luke's gospel. Jesus is there before the few friends and family who've shown up to see him. And he says what? Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Forgive. Forgive who? The spineless politicians who called for his death. The arrogant religious leaders who turned aside, glad that he was being taken away from them. The soldiers with the hammers and the nails. The disciples who've abandoned and left their friend behind. Forgive them. Forgive who? Forgive you and me. For every unkind word, every mean-spirited comment, every time we failed to be a friend, every time we've fallen short. Forgive. Forgive you. Forgive me. There's a scene in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, where the camera has been focused on the face of Jesus. He utters those words, forgive them, and the camera changes from his face, and it then turns up to the cloud-filled heavens, and we see a single drop of rain form and then fall, fall to the earth. It is a tear of God, knowing that forgiveness is the beginning of new life. This is how the church can be transformed. It begins in grace and forgiveness, the kind that we offer to each other and to the world. And when that happens, the first ones being changed are us. 
Miroslav Volf tells a story about a woman named Esther. Esther was abandoned by her mother when she was just nine years old. Her mother was a raging alcoholic, had a variety of problems, couldn't get through a single day sober, and finally she just, she just ran away. She left Esther and her siblings and her husband, she left, left all of them behind and ran away to another city. By the time Esther got to be in her mid-twenties, she realized that she desperately wanted to reconnect again with her, with her mother. After her mother had abandoned them, the family never spoke of her, never talked about her at all. So here was Esther at 26, deciding, I need to connect with my mom. She looked her up, and sure enough, she found her address in the same little Iowa city where she used to live. She drove over there, found the apartment, knocked on the door. It was opened, and the two of them, her mother standing there before her, the two of them began to weep. They fell into each other's arms. Esther's mother was so excited to see her daughter. She took her all over town and introduced her to all her friends, wanted her to meet everyone who was important to her. They had a wonderful day going from place to place to say, place saying, this is my daughter Esther, this is my daughter Esther. Isn't she beautiful? Isn't she wonderful? They went all over town, then came back to their, to their house. And Esther said to her mother, and she used this word, Mommy, I want you to know I'm sorry. For many years now, I've thought I should reach out to you I thought I should try to reconnect with you. I thought I should try to find you, and I'm, I'm so sorry that I never did. Will you forgive me? And Esther's mother said, well, of course I forgive you. I forgive you, and I love you. You're so beautiful now. I can't believe how wonderful your life has turned out. And then Esther waited, and it was quiet. You see, Esther was sure that if she would have apologize first, that her mom would then acknowledge all the sadness and sorrow and pain that she'd brought into Esther's life, into their family's life, and she too would ask for forgiveness. But no, there was nothing but silence. A moment, and then a minute, and then more. Finally, Esther stood and walked over to the chair where her mother was sitting. She sat on the floor right next to her mother's feet. She reached up under her mom's lap and she took a hold of her mother's hands and she said, Mommy, I want you to know I love you and I forgive you. I can't imagine how hard it must have been to deal with all the pain and suffering you've had, but I want you to know just one thing. I love you and I forgive you. And with those words, her mother began to rock back and forth, and all she could say over and over again was, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And finally, they collapsed into each other's arms as the sobs took away from the words, and the grace was full in the room. Esther said later, I realized. I realized that my mother's pain and shame and guilt were so great she could not even name them. I had to let her know first that I'd already forgiven her and that I was always going to love her. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It sounds most clear when we practice the love and the forgiveness that God has invited us to give to each other. Amen.